Welcome to the 127 on the Mic podcast. This message was recorded by our college pastor, John Davison, as we walk through the book of Hebrews. We hope you enjoy. Hebrews chapter one. Let's see if we can get this thing to work right quick. And we're going we're gonna to jump in. It's looking forward. If it doesn't work, that's fine. You can uh, just follow the slides as I go. We're, um, we're going to look at the first four verses, but I don't know how long we're going to go there. But let's just read it together. Long ago... God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. The, the opening of Hebrews is, is eloquent. It's, it's beautiful, and, and we're going to see some things that the author does here uh, to, to push us in a direction. Often we think letter, but, but this doesn't lo- really read like a letter. A couple things, the, the author of it, we're going to say the Holy Spirit, through whoever this is, um, we don't know who it is. You can guess Nobody knows. It's not revealed in any way, and so I'm not going to even like conjure a guess for this. It's somebody, though, we're going to read in chapter 2, that had a connection to the disciples, and so we know he probably had some sort of connection to Jesus. We don't know the audience, but we can just assume that these are uh, Jewish believers who have a deep knowledge of the Old Testament, because a lot of Hebrews, you're going to learn in Bible study, and as we walk through this, a lot of Hebrews just points back to the Old Testament and and has a lot of just the narrative that brings to mind Old Testament things. Really from like chapter seven to chapter 10 is all about Levitical law and Levitical process and stuff. And so there's a lot that we just go backwards into the Old Testament, but but we don't know anything about it except for the fact that it's just like really, really beautiful. It's just, it's really, really well done all the way across the whole thing. The Bible Project as... I was just gathering resources and stuff from here. The Bible Project, he mentions two things that are the main goals of the book of Hebrews. The first one is this, to elevate Jesus as superior to everything else, to put Jesus in his proper place. And the second is to challenge readers to remain faithful despite any persecution that comes along. So you can kind of know what they were walking through as a people then and, and what maybe they were expecting. The author's going, hey, pay attention to this. In fact, in Bible study, you're going to read or hear about five different warnings that the author presents to his audience to go, hey, pay attention to this because this is what's happening. This is what could go on. Here's, here's a potential disaster for you. Be warned of these things. And so the purpose is to elevate Jesus as superior to everything else and to challenge the readers to remain faithful no matter what, no matter what the persecution. The main point really of the first four verses that you see up there is is this, is that God has spoken finally and definitively through the Son. There's this past era that is Old Testament, that were ancestors and prophets, and, and now we have the last days where he has spoken through Jesus. And if we, if we look at this, we'll see if this works. I think this will help us understand kind of what he's doing, just a little compare and contrast between the two. Long ago, Old Testament, in the last days, now. Okay, if, if you haven't heard us say that before, we're living in the last days. The Bible points to that. We are in the last days. And then it goes to God spoke to the fathers, Back then, 
He, he spoke in a lot of different ways in the Old Testament. Now what is he doing? He has spoken to us, spoken to us through the Son. We see this. He spoke to the fathers by the prophets. He has spoken to us now by his Son. And then it ends with this, a diff, at different times and in different ways. The first half of it, long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In the last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And then we see this, this, this thing called a chiasm. We, we've done this before um, that kind of helps us connect these two together. This isn't necessarily big brain, but, I, but I, I need you to see this. When you, when you do this, he, he says something and then he connects it to another part of the verse and it kind of goes back and forth. And so the main point of this chiasm is really found in this first thing. He has spoken to us by his son. Why? Because the son is superior to the angels. Just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. This isn't something that happened after he showed up. He was already there. The son was already more superior. And so why would he not speak to us by the son? God has appointed him heir of all things because he is that. And it says this, as heir of all things. See if this thing will slide. After making purification for the sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. His sacrifice gets him this point. Everything was made by him, for him, through him, and now he is the heir of all those things. We and this planet belong to Jesus. God has appointed him as the heir of all things. He made the universe through him, and I love this. It's a sweet promise that's connected there. Because he made the universe through Jesus, everything is sustained by Jesus. He made the universe through him, and he sustains all things through his word. And you can connect that with John, one other place. We're going to look at this back directly to Jesus. The, the first couple verses of this are just crazy beautiful in how he sets up the rest of the chapter. And then the sun is the radiance of God's glory. See if it'll work. Go. Go that way. Nope. Nope. It'll freeze. We're, we're working on something new here, so... Um, the, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. Go back to that little last point of that slide. I just want to connect the entire thing for people that, that really care, if you can control it. There it is. He is the exact expression. One more time. He is the exact expression of his nature. And so when you, when you read, he is the, the reflection, the radiance, the expression of God's glory because he is the expression of his nature. He, it basically, the author is going, no matter what you, I mean, understand that a lot of these people got to see Jesus walk on the planet, and he's going, no matter what you think of this guy, this is what he is, the exact representation of God. And so we look at those together, and I just want to highlight, we're just going to go to that first verse there, and you're going to have to control it in the back, I lost it, so that's okay. Long ago, God spoke to the ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. When, when you look at this, something should really jump out at you. Pretty, pretty straightforward. Long ago, we go Old Testament, God spoke. And then he, he speaks in different ways. We see in the Old Testament, he's prophets and priests and kings and through fire and through all kinds of stuff. He's, he was a speaking God then, but, but he did that through different times in different ways but we still know, but now he is speaking through the Son. The main point that rises up is he is a speaking God. And there's a cool thing that happens there in the Greek for some of you that just really care. Um, all of the words that he starts this letter, this 
essay, whatever you want to call it with, all of them start with the, the Greek letter P. It's the pi symbol. That's where that comes from. And so they all start with, if you're looking at it and you pull it up, it's just that, that, that symbol for pi, which I can't do with my hands. It's kind of weird feeling. Um, this is like a T, you're like, time out. Uh, a symbol for pi, and then it goes from there. And so, so long ago is palai. It's just that word is palai. That means long ago. God spoke by our ancestors. And so it just says long ago, God spoke by, it actually means fathers there is the ancestors. It's pater is the word in Greek. And then the prophets, prophetess. At different times, polymeros, and in different ways, polytropos. And so on my desk, as I was reading through this, I have palai, pater, prophetess, polymeros, polytropos. You're like, that sounds wild. One of my favorite movies is Big Fat Greek Wedding. Anybody? It's like Ski Trip Movie 101. I don't know why. Every time I go skiing, we just watch that. And, and from, the, from the very beginning, if you know the first scene, the father's sitting in the car, and he looks in the mirror, and his daughter is back there, and he goes, you are so old because she's in her 30s and she's not married yet. And the image that the director uh, gives through like the first camera shot is she just doesn't take care of herself and everything. And, and the dad just like makes fun of her right there in, in the midst of that. I, I love the authenticity that this movie brings about, like the, the togetherness that this movie brings about, um, the fatherly nature that this guy has that echoes through here. And it just reminds me, like when I read that, I, I don't know why I think of that movie and I'm stirred for some reason to love Jesus more uh, because of my big fat Greek wedding. Palai, pater, prophetes, polymeros, polytropos. From the outset of this book, the, the literary style of the author is, is so apparent that, that the reader just can't help but be kind of drawn in. And this is really the purpose of the first kind of four verses, is that the author wants everyone to see Jesus, and they want to see Jesus elevated and lifted high and to get their attention. And he's going, hey, the Old Testament was was transmitted through narrative, through hymns, through proverbs, through psalms, through these really cool songs, through even love songs, through my voice literally speaking out. I, I spoke through Moses and Joshua and Aaron and Isaac and Jacob. God was a speaking God through there. And so we see just this major theme that's really going to echo all throughout Hebrews is that God speaks through the fathers. The, the one true God is a speaking God who communicates with his people and reveals his will and his ways to him. But, but fathers can't just be limited. And what we see here, what happens all throughout here, is that when he says that he's a speaking God through the fathers, it's not just limited to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But what he does, and we're going to see this echo pretty loudly, is he includes all of the Old Testament He's going, our God spoke loudly through the Old Testament revelation to you. But all of that was laying a foundation, was pointing to this character that they didn't know yet. He called him the Messiah in different places, but it, it points to Jesus. And everything that was labeled prophetic in your Bible, it's not just the minor prophets that we studied last year. It's not the major prophets that we've, we've looked at. It's not, it's not those books that just get like the second half of the Old Testament. He is saying that everything in the Old Testament was prophetic. Everything that was written in the Old Testament was pointing towards something that was to come. And this is kind of one of the challenges when we look at Hebrews. I talked about this this morning, that Hebrews is just a, a really difficult book for us to study and to understand but it does an incredibly beautiful job of pointing back to some things that so often get lost. That the Old Testament, all of it about Jesus, 
all of it prophetic, all of it God clearly speaking, historical and the love letters and the wisdom books, all of it God speaking clearly to us in prophetic terms, looking forward to Jesus. Long ago, it was revealed. But, but in saying that, there's, there's something that happens here because now you begin to see this tension. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors at different times and in different ways, and that, that long ago begins to, to help us understand that it was actually a previous era. It's not something that has continued. In fact, a new day has risen, a new covenant has arrived, and the old is no longer in force. This is Hebrews 8.13. I think we have that one up there. I'll read it over here if we don't. Hebrews 8.13. By saying a new covenant, he has declared that the first is obsolete. And what is obsolete is growing old and is about to pass away. The, the first covenant, it, it basically what it means is the first covenant is worn out. The first covenant is, it's another P word there when we read that. When you see the word growing old, that, that P word there is, uh, I'm not even going to be able to pronounce this, palaiu, it just means worn out. It's another word that starts with pi. And he just begins to connect this all throughout the book. By saying a new covenant, he's declared that the first one is obsolete. And what is obsolete is growing old and is about to pass away. The words of the previous era are, hear me, when I say worn out and I say that they're about to pass away, you kind of want to just unhitch yourself from it. You don't want to pay attention to the Old Testament. The words of the Old Testament are still authoritative because they are the word of God. But the covenant promises that were wrapped up in it have now been fulfilled in the life of Jesus. They've been realized in the life of Jesus, and so they are no longer a thing. And we're going to look at this really quickly because of what Hebrews 2 does for us. Hebrews 1, 2 does for us right off the bat. Because if long ago he does this, now verse 2. In the last days, that's now, he, God, has spoken to us by his son, Jesus. God has appointed him the heir of all things and made the universe through him. Okay, so long ago he did this, but in these last days, he is a God who still speaks, but he's spoken finally, and what did we say? He's spoken definitively through Jesus, because Jesus is the son of the Davidic promise that was given in the Old Testament, come to life, and as the heir, remember what God promised to David, you will, your throne will be an everlasting one, you will always have somebody that is kin to you that will be on the throne, that promise is now completely fulfilled through Jesus and as the creator, then he gets to be the heir. He gets to share all things because the universe was made through him. And I love this. When you see the word last days, it reminds us of Daniel chapter 10. If you were with us in the, in the fall as we looked through that, and you talked about last days, kind of end times things. But Micah chapter 4, verse 1, I think we have this slide. It's actually a, a couple of verses. I want you to see something really cool here. In the last days, it's where we're at. We're looking forward to that. Most people are thinking the end. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. People will stream to it and many nations will come and they will say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And what? He will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his paths. And I love that. In the end days, they get to go visit somebody who is living. 
In the end days, they get to go somewhere and they get to be taught about his ways and walk in his paths. And you can think, well, that's just talking about when Jesus was here and he was on the planet and he was teaching them. Sure, you can make that application. But Hebrews pushes us beyond that in verse two, because it's not just when Jesus was here, but in the last days now, God has spoken to us by and through the son, the author and the creator of the entire universe. And so God's promises from King David, even all the way back to Moses, are now being fulfilled. They're coming true in the Son. Believers no longer have to live in the days where they await the fulfillment of what God has promised. They live in what we see in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, in the end times. These things happen to them as examples, and they are written for our instruction on whom the end of the ages have come. Everything that we read about is now coming to life because of the life of Jesus, we don't have to wait anymore, we're here. And it's, it's basically inconceivable to think that the readers would look at this and they could embrace the old era. Now remember who this is being written to, Jewish Christians who were probably still trying to hold on to the law, who were probably still trying to hold on to their old way of life and to, to, to satisfy God with their sacrifices. And as they read this, it's inconceivable to think that they can embrace that old era with all of those rituals and all of those sacrifices and those 600 plus laws while still looking at the person of Jesus and understanding his sacrifice. God has spoken in his son. And so I wanna look at this table one more time. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In the last days, he has spoken to us by the son. And I get irritated, and so do you, because of this. This right here. It's blank. Why? Because the author wants us just to go ahead and understand and assume that after Jesus spoke, we didn't need anything else. It, it was done. We, we didn't need other things. We didn't, we didn't need more times. We didn't need different ways. We don't need to add anything to it. Because in the last days, God has spoken by his son, done. And, and we, can, we can just sit in this. Why? Because Jesus' last word is the best word. No further word is needed, but also no, no further word should be expected. This this should be an irritant to, to some. It should be fuel for you who do ministry to people who want to add to this, who want to take away from this, who want to put another book in its place, who want to put another book beside it and be like, oh, this is authoritative too. No, in the last days, God spoke through the Son, done. You don't, you don't need anything else. We're going to continue to see this probably in like eight months when we get to chapter 9. <laughs> 926 says, but now he, Jesus, has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. And then verse 28 reminds us that believers are just waiting for the return of the son, but they're just waiting for him. They don't need anything else. They don't need a sign. They don't need some sort of expectation that he's coming back. They're just waiting for Jesus to come back. They don't need another word from God to make them feel better because no more clarification is needed. The significance of what the son has accomplished on the cross revealed to us once and for all is enough. And so that's really the start. We're two verses into this. And, and God, right off the bat, says, hey, long ago, this is how I spoke. And it was needed, and it's authoritative, and you should still engage with it. I did it through the prophets, different times, different ways, but in the last days, I've spoken through the Son. 
And because of who he was, this is what the son got. God appointed him to be the heir of all things. And he made the universe through him. And we're going to continue to go on and see in the next couple weeks or so where he's seated, what he gets because of that. But this is the cool part. If we would grasp this, then when we get to Hebrews 2.1, this verse comes alive. For this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we've heard so that we will not drift away. If what Jesus accomplished by his life, death, resurrection, ascension into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, if that word is final, which is what Hebrews says it is final, then, then you have to believe that. And as believers in that, then you must pay attention all the more to what you've heard so that you won't drift away. And so for some of you in this room, it's, it's actually really kind of quite simple as the band gets ready to come back up here. Our response is this. If you believe in what Jesus has done, but you struggle daily, you would say, I'm wandering, I feel distance from God, I'm, I'm struggling in my relationship with him. This warning to you, all the more pay attention to what we have heard is basically a prescription to open up this book, put your face in it, see him more clearly, and that's your solution. It's so cheesy. It is, because I hate saying it, but it drives home such a good point. When you feel distant from God, he's not the one who moved. He's not. His word is definitive. In the last day, he is spoken by his son, and through that son, the son is at the right hand of the father. It's complete. It's done. You just got to look at him and run to him. And as we elevate Jesus to his proper place of authority, which is going to happen probably for the next 30 weeks as we gather together, as we elevate Jesus to his proper place of authority, then you feel a closeness and a nearness to him that's probably the solution to so many other problems that we struggle with. So as believers in this room, man, run to him. If you've got this figured out, keep running to him. Don't get in a comfortable spot where you're like, hey, I'm doing pretty good. No, keep running to him. Never be satisfied. For those of you that maybe you're wandering a little bit, run to him. And maybe that starts tonight where you just grab maybe one of the Bible study leaders or somebody that, that you know, brought uh, you tonight just because of a food truck, like, hey, the tacos are going to be good, and they just bait and switched, and now you're in here. And, and you're hearing this, and you're going, what do I do? Ask a friend to go, hey, would you pray for me? Would you help me? Would you encourage me just maybe to see Jesus more clearly? I've wandered from him, and, and I need to experience him in, in his word. And for those of you maybe that don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're outside of that, can you, can you see that verse we are in the last days. Post-Jesus, all through the New Testament, is just the last days. He can return at any point. And I'm just like, Maranatha, come, Lord, quickly. Like, that's the, I want that. I'm kind of tired of this place. Man, I love you guys. All right, but the tacos in heaven are going to be so much better. <laughs> if that guy's in here, man, you were close, bro. But, but those are, it's going to be so much better. And so, so when I look at this and I go, man, we're in the last days. He can come back at any time. And he's spoken through Jesus, who is the appointed heir of all things because he created all things. As an unbeliever in this room, would you hear that? And would the spirit stir within you a desire to respond to that? Because outside of a relationship with Jesus, you are without hope. And your life would probably scream loudly that that's how you feel. You're reaching and you're grabbing. You're trying to fill it with things that do not satisfy. But he spoke the final word and is seated in a place of authority because he was the only one that was able to do that. Would you run to him tonight? 
That's my prayer. Let me pray for you guys and we'll respond in worship. God, you're good. Your word is good. You do good things. And I pray that your words, even in the first two verses of Hebrews, would echo really loudly to us. That as believers in this room, we would understand the authoritative nature of what Jesus accomplished, that it is finished and we need nothing else but to run to him and be reminded of his goodness. And for those maybe that are far off from you tonight, would you stir by your spirit a desire to run back to the Father? We thank you that, that prodigals are welcomed with open arms in a party. And so I pray for some that they would just run back to him tonight. And for unbelievers in this room, with those words, not in a fearful way, although sometimes that, that's needed, but would those words just be a reminder that what Jesus has done is the finished and final thing. And all we need to do is just to cry out to him. If we would confess with our mouth that he is Lord, believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we're saved. Maybe they take that first step tonight. We, we trust you with all of those things by your spirit to move. We thank you that your word is powerful and effective and it, and it does push us to movement. So as we respond in song, will we be bold enough uh, to respond in the way that you're calling us to? We trust you to do that. Thank you for tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.